You are listening to the 1% Christian, the daily Bible study where we get together for 1% of our day. We study God's word and then we head out to the remaining 99% to do something amazing with this life that God's given us. I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio with Sound of Heaven Church in Deer Park, New York. I invite you to check us out at soh.church. And while you're there, download our free mobile app where you can check out our online community. A lot of good stuff going on there. You can follow along with all of our teachings. And also there is a digital Bible on there that you can use to follow along with what we are doing here. If you're listening anywhere where you get your podcasts, like, share, subscribe, turn on your notifications. Not only do you not want to miss anything, but uh, it also helps us to move forward in the algorithm and get in front of more people. And I'm excited to hear all the great feedback that we're getting from this study. Matthew chapter 11, we're in there right now. We've been going through the gospel of Matthew. And yesterday we saw somewhat of a reintroduction of a character or an individual uh, that we found earlier in Matthew, and that is John the Baptist, the infamous John the Baptist, very strange guy, wore camel hair, hung out in the desert, told people to repent. That was his message, right, is to uh, repent. He basically preparing the way of the Lord as he was prophesied to do so, um, but getting people in the mode of changing and turning and moving in a different direction. That's really what repent means, right? Repent is not a condemning word. It's actually a very freeing word. It's something that we all have the opportunity to do when we've got areas of our life that maybe we're not moving in the right direction. Uh, and repent simply means uh, acknowledging that, turning around and walking the other way, so to speak. Um, so yesterday, uh, we see how uh, John the Baptist, who is now in prison, sends his disciples to ask Jesus, hey, are you really who you say you are? Are you really what we're hearing? He heard about the works of Jesus, and Jesus turns around to him, to the disciples and say, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor hear the gospel, all that good stuff. And uh, basically Jesus was saying, don't just take my word for it. Watch all the stuff that is going on. And it's so often in our own walk that people will yeah, want to hear what we have to say, but what they're really watching is what we do, right? Because the fruit of who we are in Christ really manifests itself beyond our words and into our day-to-day -day actions, amen? So Jesus makes an interesting statement about our position in the kingdom of God, and he refers us, and I want to say us, I mean, obviously the original audience was the people listening there, but this is one of those kingdom principles that we can absolutely um, just turn right around and apply to us as well, okay? He tells them that there was never a greater person ever created, born of a woman, and then says, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. And if you remember what that meant, it really meant to point out that John the Baptist was 
in the Old Covenant, technically. I know we're reading about him in the Gospels, but we have to understand that in that first century, we are really reading about the transition time between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And that's what Jesus has been doing this whole time, right? He is talking about the establishment of the New Covenant and the application of the Bib- uh, of the kingdom principles. Amen? So now Jesus makes that bold statement. He's talking to the crowd and the multitudes and saying, hey, the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist, and he was greater than anyone. So he is really talking about the new covenant believers position on this planet. And if that was the case for John the Baptist, and he was that powerful and important in his message, how much more us, when we have the new covenant at the tip of our fingers. I mean, if you think about it, John the Baptist was still trying to figure this stuff out. He was saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. At this time, you know, Jesus is laying down the foundations and the concept of what the kingdom was going to be like being established. Well, you and I get the opportunity to talk about what it means that it is finished. When Jesus is on that cross, and when he goes through everything that he goes through, and he says, it is finished, to telestai is the word that he used. It meant paid in full. And if you do a study on that word, to telestai, it's really, really powerful. They used to write it on top of receipts, actually, in commerce, which meant that the debt was completely paid. So when Jesus uttered that, those words when he was on the cross, he was basically signing the receipt for all of our sin, all of our death, all of our destruction, all the things that we do, and ushering in it's, uh, a, a new age where we have access to full forgiveness. We have access to really full power and authority. And we see that, again, in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. We'll get there, but I'll say it right here. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he points to them. He says, therefore, go to the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So now, we, as we move on in Matthew chapter 11, we see Jesus having some very, very strong words for the generation that he is in. And we have to look at this through the context of proper audience relevance, okay? At the end of this generation in 70 AD, that temple was coming down. I can't stress this enough. Everything that we're going to read here has eschatological ramifications. What does that mean? What does eschatological mean? Eschatology, ology, study of eschat, the end times, right? So I would present to you that the urgency and what Jesus is laying out, and the whole reason why it was go first to the Jew and then to the Gentile was because this was all coming to a head. And when that temple fell down, we'll study this more going forward, especially in Matthew 24. When that temple fell down, it signified the complete ending of the old covenant. We are no longer in the old covenant. We no longer have to bring our uh, sin offering to uh, the altar in a temple. God does not dwell inside a building. He dwells inside me and you. Amen? Okay. So now, I'm going to read through here, starting with verse 12. 
It says, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you care to accept it, he himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let them hear. I want to address the word violence because obviously that's a very strong word. But understand what's happening here. Anytime truth is presented, it is always met with opposition. And when truth enters into a place, it always disrupts. And I want you to use the concept of light entering into a room that's totally dark, right? Takes a second for your eyes to adjust to that thing. It could be shocking. And what Jesus is doing throughout this whole time, he is shocking the world with truth bombs over and over again. And he's saying that from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Jesus is introducing things that are absolutely rocking their world. And violent men take it by force. So he's not calling us to violence in any way. He's calling us to bring truth that also brings transformation and transition. Not everybody likes change, as we see with the religious leaders. It says, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, I read this already, and if you care to accept it, he himself is Elijah who was to come. He's, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. It was prophesied that there would be a preparer of the way. He's pointing out that in the last days of the new of the old covenant, at the end of the age, there would be one like Elijah that would be there. And he's saying John the Baptist is it, right? Again, remember John the Baptist, when he was talking with the Pharisees, he told them that the ax was already at the root of the tree. Meaning what you have built up for yourself is about to come down. Verse 16 says, but to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in marketplaces who call out the other children and say, we played a flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn for John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. What's Jesus talking about here? No matter what they did, the crowd was not happy. John the Baptist was a weirdo. Jesus was a drunkard and a sinner. We'll see in verse in chapter 12, excuse me. They say Jesus casts out demons by demons. They're just not, they had all the proof in front of them as to what was going on and all the proof in front of them as to what God was looking to do in that generation. And Jesus is telling them, you're missing it. And we see this time and time again, the traditions of man getting in the way of the power that God is trying to exhibit. And if we're not careful, we can find this in our own life. And then he begins to reproach the cities where most of his miracles have been done, starting with verse 20. It says, then he began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Corzine. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. He's, Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tar, tar, uh, tolerable, excuse me, in Tyre and Sidon than in the day of judgment than for you. 
And you, Capernaum, will not, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You shall descend into Hades. For if you, you, if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. So really, what is Jesus pointing out here? He's pointing out that if we're not careful, we're going to miss what God has for us. And again, we have to look at this through the audience relevance. Why is he saying woe to all of you? Is because those in that generation that didn't get it were going to see destruction when the temple was destroyed. They were going to be partakers in that death and destruction. Jesus is trying to get them to not only avoid that, but also, of course, so that they can partake of the eternal glory of the new covenant. So how do we apply this to our own lives? None of us needs to be separated from God in this life or next. Now, God is with us. It's not a question. He said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But the question is, are we with him? But I just want to point out what we're reading here. Jesus is referring to all the places that saw his miracles. And he's saying, woe to all of you who are seeing the power of the kingdom of God, yet you still doubt. You still deny. You still delay your redemption. And he goes so far to say that even Sodom, you know, the city that was so wicked that it was destroyed, even that city would have turned itself around with the witness of what Jesus was establishing. And there's an interesting type and shadow and correlation because he's pointing to the cities as a whole, but they were going into a time and they were in a time where the people that knew the prophecies of God, knew the prophecies of the Messiah, were honestly, desperately waiting for this move of God, yet they would not accept what Jesus had for them. And as the Acts church takes off after Jesus' death and resurrection, which we'll eventually get to, we see that those in the temple and the synagogues were rejecting Jesus. They were persecuting the early Christians. We're going to see it in the next couple chapters. Actually, from this point on, we're going to see a buildup of persecution that leads all the way to the cross. It's really starting to clash right here. But again, we don't want to be in that boat swayed by the crowd, always waiting, always doubting. And we realize that to follow the truth actually comes at a cost. Our doubt, our fear, our wanting to be accepted by the world around us often leads to delay and potentially loss in our life because we only have a certain amount of days here on this planet. And the sooner that we can trust Jesus for who he is, the sooner that we can walk in the fullness of the kingdom that he's already established. You don't have to wait for anything. You just have to believe. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying be unrelatable to the people around you. I'm saying you don't have to follow the people around you. Jesus 
made himself relatable in nearly every circle. Honestly, the biggest pushback that he got was for those, from those in the religious community that wanted to put God in a box. So my prayer for you as we continue on here is that you realize that you don't have to wait. You just have to believe. You just have to trust. And just like those disciples that were just sent out, what were they willing, what is a disciple? Somebody who's willing to follow, somebody who's willing to learn, and someone who's willing to apply the principles that they've learned in their life. And my hope and prayer is that through this broadcast, that we learn a little bit more about God and we apply it throughout our life and we make this world a better place. Amen. So let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we don't want any more delay in our life. No more doubt. We want to keep walking toward our destiny. Just wherever you are right now, just say, Jesus, I trust you. And Father, help us to not want to conform to the crowds around us, but to be that individual that counterculture individual that brings the power of the kingdom everywhere we go. And we do that through love. We do that through hope. And we do that through our faith in you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio with Sound of Heaven Church in Deer Park, New York. I invite you to check us out at soh.church. You're listening to the 1% Christian, the daily Bible study where we get together for 1% of our day. And we head out to the remaining 99% to do something amazing. Get out there, do something amazing today. Love you guys. We're finishing Matthew chapter 11 tomorrow.